Welcome to episode number 16 of Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and with me in the studio feeling much better is Aurora. Hi, folks. She was not feeling great for the past couple days, so that's why we're a couple days slow in getting this episode out. But trust me, it's worth waiting for. The expert we have today is John Cannell, and he founded the Vitamin D Association, and he's somebody I've been following for quite a while to get my info on vitamin D. He's a really credible source, and I'm sure you're going to in, uh, enjoy what he has to say. Or will you tell us a little bit more about Dr. John Cannell? Dr. Cannell graduated from the University of Maryland with a degree in zoology, then got his medical degree from the University of North Carolina. He was a surgical intern and practiced emergency medicine before becoming a general practitioner practitioner in the coal fields of West Virginia. In the 90s, he moved to California and became a psychiatrist. There, he worked at Atascadero State Hospital and developed a deep interest in food, nutrition, and their roles in health and wellness. He has been a proponent of public health and education throughout his career, taking part in multiple campaigns to raise awareness for many public health issues. In 2003, he founded the Vitamin D Council, a nonprofit education organization, to teach people about the benefits of vitamin D and to raise awareness about the widespread vitamin D deficiency in the United States. Thank you, Aurora. And, folks, as a reminder, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us at iTunes or Stitcher. And here's our interview with Dr. John Cannell. Hello, Dr. Cannell. Hello. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes, you are. So thanks for agreeing to do this. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And I appreciate your work. Thanks. Now, uh, I'm just going to jump right in, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Okay. So first, uh, as a little background and a, a little connection here, uh, we have something in common deep in, in our roots. We were both born in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. I've never met anybody born in Washington, D.C. <laughs> it's a rare – we're rare birds. Yes, yes. So uh, – At what hospital were you born in? Children's. children's. I was born in the old General Hospital before they tore it down in 1955, I think. And then where did you grow up in D.C.? I grew up in, actually, I grew up in uh, Jessup, Maryland, and then Annapolis, Maryland. Oh, no kidding. So that's, it's even stranger. So I spent my formative young years in uh, Adams Morgan. Uh huh. So Calvert Street, kind of on the back end of the zoo there. Yeah. And then we moved out to southern Prince George's County. uh, And then spent my high school years in Annapolis. Oh, wow. I graduated wow. from St. Mary's High School. St. Mary's. I was thrown out of St. Mary's High School. Congratulations. Gave, gave the finger to a nun. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? She was probably still there. <laughs> That's a great story. So then you went on to University of Maryland and North did? Carolina, studied psychiatry. Well, at, no, at the University of North Carolina, I studied just medicine. I got my MD degree. Okay. And then uh, I did a surgery internship at the University of Utah. Okay. In 1977. 
Then I became an emergency room specialist for an emergency room specialist for seven years. And then I moved to West Virginia and became a general practitioner in the coal fields of Appalachia. No kidding. And I did that until 1988 when I went back to the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque to do a psychiatry residency to become a psychiatrist. And then when I finished that in 1991, I've been a psychiatrist ever since until I started the Vitamin D Council in 2001. So, first of all, it's a very interesting path from surgery to psychiatry is an interesting jump. But then how do you get from psychiatry to nutrition to vitamin D? What was the Well, in in 2001, uh, I found that the job I had gave me plenty of time to do research. Oh, very cool. And so I was researching uh, nutrients because I was been always been interested in nutrition and health. And, and uh, I, I got into fish oil for a while, about a year, but then I realized that the 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 absolute amount of good that fish oil can do is going to be modest at best. Um, but but then when I stumbled across vitamin D, I realized a couple of things. One, unlike any other vitamin, vitamin D is not a vitamin. It's a it's a steroid hormone precursor, and that's important because steroid hormones work by turning genes on and off. They have this very primitive, basic, very dramatic mechanism of action. They actually regulate the stuff of life, the DNA in your body. So you're explaining that vitamin D is actually a hormone, so it's misnamed as vitamin, and that it works by altering DNA expression. Right. Um, I'll say it again. Vitamin D is not a vitamin like the other vitamins. Vitamin D is a steroid hormone precursor. And that's important because steroid hormones work by regulating uh, your DNA, the, the stuff of life. Uh, they turn genes, steroid hormones turn genes on. So vitamin class by itself in terms of a vitamin. And anyway, it was never made to be put in the mouth. It was the, the system is it derives from skin production, not ingested in, in diet. So it was sort of misnamed. It was the fourth fourth vitamin that they found, so they named it vitamin D. But then I realized something else. Uh, I realized that studies showed that when you went outside in the summer sunshine with your bathing suit on, you made about ten thousand units of vitamin D in fifteen minutes. And the government at that time was only recommending that you take 400 units. And uh, at the University of Maryland, I had a degree in zoology, so I was very interested in natural selection. And I asked myself, why would uh, humans develop a system that made 10,000 units of vitamin D in 15 minutes if they only need 400 units like the government says? So you have to sort of make a choice. Do you believe the government or do you believe nature? <laughs> and uh, that, combined with the fact it was a steroid hormone, led me to the conclusion that there was a possibility that this huge mistake had been made in the recommended amounts of vitamin D that people need. That is, if the, if if nature was making ten thousand units in fifteen minutes, it was probably doing it for a good reason. But the government was saying only 400 units was needed. So there was this huge gap. And because it's a steroid hormone and it works by turning genes on and off, 
there was this potential for a huge impact in, in the medical field. And so that's why I got involved with uh, vitamin D. Fascinating. Now, my listeners, most of them either have Lyme disease or are interested in Lyme disease, which, as you know, is a nasty bacterial infection, a spirochete. And really, what in reading your work and uh, being part of the Vitamin D Council and seeing all the research that comes in, Vitamin D not only has this basic function of assisting with calcium and some other mineral assimilation in the gut, but once the body becomes replete, there are some other functions that start happening that are, are vital to our health. So, so must that must be what you're talking about with turning on the, the genes. Yes, uh, there are about 2,000 genes that uh, that um, vitamin D regulates. Um, and that's about one-tenth of the active human genome. And included uh, in that is uh, a naturally occurring antibiotic called catholicidin. And uh, catholicidin is a very simple molecule that kills bacteria and viruses that your body produces as part of the natural innate immune system defense against infection. And there are more than one catholicidins and there's more than one antimicrobial peptide that vitamin D directly upregulates them. That is a gene that makes catholicidin is directly controlled by vitamin D. So that's why there's so much interest in vitamin D and infectious disease uh, because vitamin D seems to control our own innate immunity uh, to getting infections. So does the research show that people deficient in vitamin D are more susceptible? Yeah. Is, is that established at oh, this point? Yes. Uh, there are a number of epidemiological studies that show that uh, infants who are deficient in vitamin D get bronchiolitis more often. There are a number of studies that show that adults with vitamin D deficiency are more likely to get upper respiratory infections and the flu. There are studies that show... Uh, children who are vitamin D deficient are more likely to get ear infections. Uh, there are studies in uh, um, intensive care units that show people who are vitamin D deficient are more likely to get sepsis or blood infections. Uh, there are studies that show that people who are vitamin D deficient are more likely to get tuberculosis. So there's a number of studies about vitamin D and infection. But unfortunately, there are no studies about vitamin D and Lyme disease. Lyme disease is the red-headed stepchild <laughs> of the infectious disease world. So yes. it's not surprising. Yes. Well, it's a little, little surprising to me that nobody studied it because uh, I hear anecdotal reports of, of patients who say that they took vitamin D and it helped my Lyme disease. And I also hear anecdotal reports of people saying I took vitamin D and my Lyme disease got worse. So I, I hear both sides of the story and I don't know what to think. There's, yeah, and neither do I. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, there's, I'm sure you've heard people bring up uh, what the Marshall Protocol. Yes. Which is the complete opposite. is like eliminate vitamin D from your system completely. And I've looked through that and you know, he has testimonials just like with every diet book out there, with every vitamin out there. There are testimonials saying, yes, this absolutely cured me. I, 
I don't understand how that how that would work. Well, the Marshall Protocol, um, the basis of the Marshall Protocol is to make yourself extremely vitamin D deficient and then to administer certain uh, drugs to vitamin D deficient people. And um, the man who invented the Marshall Protocol is an electrical engineer who used to be a used car salesman in Southern California before he uh, thought up the Marshall Protocol. And uh, there are some people who swear by it, but it, it makes uh, it makes little sense to me. There is a reaction called the Herxheimer reaction in which when, when um, an organism is killed in the body, when many organisms are killed by the body's immune system, the, uh, the remnants of those organisms cause a reaction called a Herxheimer reaction in the body that makes you feel sick. That is the detritus from all the bacteria that are destroyed, the, the leftover remnants of the bacteria cause an inflammatory reaction in the body, and that makes you feel sick. And so it, it, it's possible that when you have Lyme disease and you take vitamin D, vitamin D is making these antimicrobial peptides that kill the Lyme organism. And, and the remnants of the Lyme or organism then make you feel sick as your body gets rid of them. That's, uh, that's a possibility. Yeah. And it certainly is. And it's, it's interesting that almost to a person, uh, as soon as somebody finds out that they have, uh, Lyme disease and has to go more than the, the standard treatment, uh, the next thing they learn about is a Herxheimer reaction because they almost all have it. And a lot yes. of Lyme is dealing with the, the, the fallout from, from antibiotic treatment, whether, uh, yes. pharmaceutical or, or herbal. So yes. with the need for vitamin D to activate your immune system at, at this level, how the, the, it's, I'm going to ask you the basics. How much, what kind can you take a pill? Do you need the sunshine? Can you get it from, uh, going to tan at the local tan and bake shop. How do, how do you get your vitamin D levels up? Well, you can use any of those or all of them uh, or any combination of those. Um, our suggestion at the vitamin D council is you stay as close to nature as possible. So the natural way to get vitamin D is through sun exposure, and that's what we recommend. Now, for a number of reasons, that's not possible. It's not possible for many people to sunbathe every day. Uh, in the wintertime in the northern latitudes of the United States, you can't make vitamin D from the sunshine called the vitamin D winter. And people just don't have time uh, to, to go out in the sun every day. They're inside working. So um, that leaves two possibilities. One is uh, an indoor low-pressure uh, uh, sunbed that's available commercial sun tanning parlors are on the internet or taking a vitamin D pill. Uh, now, as long as you use uh, low-pressure uh, sun beds, not the high-pressure UVA ones, but the old-fashioned low-pressure beds, that is, that is getting vitamin D in a more natural way than it's taking a pill. So as long as you don't sunburn, and that's the key because sunbeds are in, like intense sunlight, as long as you don't sunburn, then it's safe to use uh, sunbeds to get your vitamin D. But many people don't have time to do that, to spend even 10 minutes at the sun tanning parlor, you know, 
to, to get their vitamin D that way. So most of us end up taking a vitamin D supplement. And uh, the dose that adults need to take is a, is a 5,000 IU a day. Not 1,000, not 2,000, but 5,000. And you need to take it with the largest meal of the day. Now, you can also get sun exposure, like on the weekends, you can sunbathe. And when you do get sun exposure, it's important that you go out when the sun is high up in the sky. That's usually between 12 noon and 1 p.m. That you go out with as little clothes on as possible and no sunblock. But you stay out in the sun only as long, half as long as it takes for your skin to turn pink. So if you know that your skin turns pink in uh, 20 minutes, then you can only stay out for 10 minutes. And then the more often you do that, that you'll get a tan and then you can stay out longer. And uh, we think that this combination of taking a vitamin D supplement when you can't go out in the sun and then sunbathing in the on the weekend is uh, the... Uh, right way to go. Let me tell you about a study that was published in the Journal of Internal Medicine. It was studied by an author named Lundquist at the, in Sweden. He studied 30,000 Swedish women and for 20 years. And at the beginning of the study, he ascertained whether they were sun-loving or sun-avoidant. That is, did they sunbathe? Did they take vacations to sunny areas in the winter? Did they use sunblock? Did they go to sun tanning parlors? So you could classify the women as, yes, they were in the sun a lot, or no, they avoided the sun. And the results were dramatic. And uh, they, they, this is the first such study that has ever been done. But the women who avoided the sun over the 20-year period of the study were twice as likely to die twice as likely to die. And when they broke down the different categories that was st- significant in all categories, including using sunbeds, the sun tanning parlors, the women who used the sun tanning parlors were, were less likely to die than women who didn't use sun tanning parlors. Just the opposite okay. of what we've been told. Right. So can you break that down because we all die. So we're talking about an early death. Well, here, right. right. Premature mortality. The women were between 50 and 70 years of age when they started the study. So they just measured uh, what percentage of the women died over that 20 uh, year period. And of course, we all die. So, but it just turned out that, that there were twice as many deaths among the women who avoided the sun. Twice as so, many. And was the deaths grouped into any area, or was it uh, no, just they didn't. overall death? It was in, mainly in cardiovascular disease and cancer, but it was an all-cause mortality. And there are quite a few people out there who think that cardiovascular disease is an immune system disease, fundamentally. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting. Uh and so let's also get into – so now we've got our ways that we can get the vitamin D levels up. Now, how does somebody interpret their test results that they're getting back? I mean, if they just get a test result back from their doctor that says they're fine, should they just take that at the word? No. Or do they need to know the numbers? They need and- to know the number. The, the number, the key number is 50. Your vitamin D level should be around 50. Don't accept 30. It's not good enough. Make sure it's around 50. And if you take 5,000 units a day, your blood level will be between 40 and 70 nanograms per milliliter. But let me uh, go back to the study for a minute, because even though the author, Lindquist, attributed the reduced mortality in the sun-loving women to vitamin D, that's not what his study showed. 
His study showed that sunshine extended your life. Now, it may work through a vitamin D mechanism, but sunshine wow. has other things that it does. It has independent effects on the immune system. It increases nitric acid production in the skin. It affects melatonin secretion. So the sun has lots of other things. In fact, there's a professor at the University of Wisconsin who's who I think has discovered an entirely new system, like the vitamin D system, that, that so far is undiscovered, that is activated by sunshine. And he's pursuing that. So uh, people who decide to get their sunshine in a bottle by taking vitamin D supplements are taking a risk because the Lundquist study did not show vitamin D extended life. It showed that sunshine extended life. Uh. That's a important distinction. Yes, it is an important distinction. But going back to blood tests, uh, there, there's a such a thing as a normal vitamin D blood test and then a natural vitamin D blood test. Okay. Normals are ascertained by just checking uh, thousands of people and averaging their blood tests and seeing what they are. But the people right. that are being checked are indoor workers. <laughs> so a normal blood test will compare you to other people who work inside out of the sun. Um, now, but, but, so you don't want to have a normal blood test. You want to have a natural blood test, which are, are the blood tests that uh, lifeguards have or roofers who work with their shirt off on the roof or gardeners who work with their shirt off in the summertime, or free-living hunter-gatherers in modern-day Tanzania that don't wear many clothes. And those levels are around 50 nanograms per milliliter. The federal government says a level of 20 is good enough. The Endocrine Society says a level of 30 is good enough, but we say your level should be at least 40 nanograms per milliliter, and 50 gives you a margin of error. So if I was ill and my levels were 40 and I was still taking 5,000 units a day, do I take more? Do I get more sunshine? It, it would depend. I mean, uh, th that's that's I can only give you an opinion because there are no studies <laughs> to guide me. If okay. you were taking 5,000 units a day and you still had symptoms of Lyme disease, um, and depending upon how you do uh, clinically, I think it would be useful to go up to 10,000 units of vitamin D a day, assuming you didn't have too bad of a Herxheimer reaction. Now, there there are some people, for whatever reasons, where it takes more than 5,000 to bring their levels yes, up. Yes, that, that, in, in obese people and in people who are genetically predetermined to have low vitamin D blood levels. They need more than 5,000 units a day. It doesn't make any common sense, but it turns out that your vitamin D blood level is actually, the, the majority of it is genetically determined. You inherit it, just like you inherit your eye color or your, or your skin type. Um, and, but you can overcome that inheritance by either sunbathing or taking a vitamin D supplement because some people are uh, predestined to have low vitamin D blood tests, and but they, you can overcome that by taking vitamin D or sunbathing. 
Now, is this related to racial components? So people with dark skin have lower amounts, or yes. is there any rhyme or reason to yes, it? Yes, there is. The, the, dark, the more melanin in your skin, the lower your vitamin D blood level. And it's generally been thought that that's due to uh, the, the sun-blocking effects of the melanin pigment in your epidermis. Okay. So if somebody is dark-skinned, whether olive-skinned Mediterranean or African-American, then the timing that you're talking about of being able to get a pink skin is changes dramatically, right? Yes, the yes. To if you're uh, vitamin D from the sun. Yes, yeah. Uh, if even if you look at the really shiny, dark, reflectant black skin that's common in equatorial Africa, those that's the kind of skin these hunter gatherers had when they were tested, and their blood levels were 50 nanograms per milliliter. So, so if you're in the sun, in the equatorial sun, shiny black skin is the type of skin that you should have because that protects your skin from the sunshine while allowing your skin to make vitamin D. But when that type of skin is transported to latitude 40 degrees north, where the sunshine is much less intense, and then that, that black like skin Boston. will not be able to make enough vitamin D. Right. Boston right. is 42 degrees north. Yeah. So nature has uh, programmed skin types to reside at certain latitudes. So. If you look at the really white skin, freckled faces, red-haired, uh, green-eyed people in Scotland, they have skin type 1. They will never suntan. They always burn, and they, they're very sensitive to the sun. But their endogenous latitudes are 50 or 60 degrees north, and that's thought to be due to vitamin D being so important that the that natural selection got rid of the melanin in their skin so that they would make as much vitamin D as possible on just casual sun exposure. Terrific. Um, let's see. <laughs> Oh, how's your podcast going? You just Vitamin D Council just started up a new podcast. Uh, I think that's we, terrific. Yeah, we've only done one of them so far, and it seemed to be pretty well received. We're, we're going to interview uh, scientists on our podcast. Oh, terrific! Well, I'll put that on my list for sure of uh, ones to tune into regularly. Oh, so actually, I did have a a political question for you: Is why? What happened? Because I, I read the, your blog and get your newsletter, and I'm a member, so I get all the, the locked, the, the premium articles. And invariably, once or twice a month, there's an article about even people who live in Saudi Arabia or by the equator are vitamin D deficient. At what point and what happened that scared us inside and away from the sun? Um, well, in the 1980s, organized medicine – um, because of pressure from dermatologists who were funded by the cosmetology industry, they started okay. uh, talking about the dangers of sunshine. So in 1988, the American Medical Association put out a position paper saying that people should avoid the sun. Um, and in that paper, there was not one word of vitamin D. You can't find the word vitamin D in the paper at all. It just told us to go out of the sun and not go in the sun anymore, even though humans had been going in the sun for two million years. And um, what happened was when we went out of the sun, because sun uh, engendered vitamin D is made so rapidly in such high quantities, 
when we started avoiding the sun, then our vitamin D levels fell, which is why even in mod- even this day you can go to the equator and find many people who are vitamin D deficient because if you don't go out in the sun, you don't have any vitamin D. Um, so basically it was a study. Uh, it's a scientific study that organized medicine did on the population in the United States. The, the study was something like this. Let's see what happens if Americans start avoiding sunshine. Let's see if they get healthier or whether they get sicker. And we won't inform them that we're doing a study on them. We'll just do the study. And one of the things that happened um, with sun avoidance is that there were epidemics in our children of autism and asthma and food allergies. If you look at the um, prevalence of all those three disorders, they track sun avoidance pretty well because most uh, most infants are kept out of the sun, most pregnant women stay out of the sun, most toddlers stay out of the sun or they have sunblock put on them. So uh, this uh, unauthorized, totally uh, unethical study was done on Americans by organized medicine uh, saying let's get rid of sunshine and see what happens. So is the tide turning, or are we still in no, the midst of uh, fight, fighting the, that? The current Surgeon General is a dermatologist, and he just issued a report emphasizing the importance of staying out of the sun and said in the report you should never go in the sunshine. So it, it's not turning in terms of uh, government advice. It, it is turning in terms of um, just uh, common sense. And um, more and more uh, authors are are calling for safe, sensible sun exposure because the vitamin D deficiency epidemic is so extreme. There are just so many people who are vitamin D deficient because of sun avoidance. That's interesting. So one of the things that happens in Lyme disease is there are standards, ISDA standards for treatment, which is at the max 30 days of antibiotics. If the doctor starts going outside those recommendations, his license is in jeopardy. Is there similar thing happening with vitamin D recommendations and doctors? Are they in that much jeopardy? No. No, there's a, a huge variation in what doctors do about vitamin D. Some people, some doctors check levels, some don't. Some tell people to take supplements, some don't. Some prescribe a prescription form of vitamin D, some don't. Um, but what's, what's happening is we're in the middle, right, as we're speaking right now, we're in the middle of a vitamin D revolution. And, and the revolution is evidenced by that, that about 20 times more Americans are taking vitamin D supplements than there were 10 years ago. There are about 10 times more vitamin D blood tests being done now than were done 10 years ago. And the number of scientific studies about vitamin D are increasing exponentially. So, um, uh, it, we're in the middle, right in the middle of a vitamin D revolution. That's good news. And and on that note, uh, I want to thank you for your time. You've been very, very generous. And let me leave you with uh, a question. If there's anything left unsaid that you'd like to add as a footnote here, now's the time to do it. And then please uh, give us how to contact the Vitamin D Council, how to get more information, the web address, those sorts of things. Well, the Vitamin D Council is a, a nonprofit tax-exempt organization that's dedicated to educating professionals and lay people about vitamin D. 
We've been in existence for 12 years. Um, uh, we have all our federal and state tax information on our website, and we we rely on donations for our existence. So if you can make a donation, just go to vitamindcouncil.org or Google Vitamin D Council. Uh, and you can become a member for $5 a month, which helps support us, so you can make a donation, and it would be very much appreciated. There's more information about vitamin D than you can possibly read in 10 years on our website. All right. Dr. Cannell, thank you very, very much. You're welcome. That interview blew my mind. Really? How come? It was, there was so much information in there about vitamin D that I had no idea about. So stuff you didn't know that you didn't know. <laughs> Basically, you know, the the whole thing about vitamin D not being an actual vitamin, but being a steroid and hormone precursor, just, like, there are so many implications for that. Right. And it really explains why it's so important to have adequate amounts of it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The little bit that they put in milk in most multivitamins is uh, severely inadequate. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, vitamin K is another one that's more like a hormone. I think there are a whole bunch of these that are out there that we're just really starting to identify that are more signaling molecules than actually a vitamin like vitamin C or vitamin E. Yeah. And it's funny, the more I, it's funny, the more I learn about these vitamins and these hormone re- precursors and how important they are for bodily functions. Like not even just they help you get better, but they help you function properly. And how much of it is just, let me rephrase, how much of these vitamins and hormone, pre-hormones that we're just not getting exposed to. Right. Well, that's the whole discussion about the recommended daily allowance, the RDA numbers. And those numbers are designed for healthy young men so that they don't get sick. So it's nothing to do with functioning at a high level. It's all about not getting diseases like uh, scurvy and and other vitamin deficiency diseases, eye problems with vitamin A, for example. Right. But when you're a little, but when you're deficient in the first place, that definitely doesn't help. Right. There's deficiency in terms of optimal functioning, and then there's deficiency in terms of you're going to get a disease from a deficiency. And rickets is, for vitamin D is the, is the disease that you get when you're severely deficient. But there's this whole range of deficiency that happens before you get that. And most often, what I find with my patients that they just, they get sick. You know, they get the flu, they get the cold that comes around and they blame it on their kids and snotty noses and things like that. When it's really a matter of just being insufficiently uh, supplied with vitamin D, either from sunshine or in a supplement form. Right. All right. If you have feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email at feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. You can like us on Facebook. You can also visit our website, for links and show notes. And Aurora, that address is? It's LimeNinjaRadio.com. Yes, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. And also on Stitcher. Right. <laughs> and check back with us next week for our interview with Jack Daniel. He's an acupuncturist and a mentor of mine. He's really brilliant. And he's put together some important work. He has a book coming out very soon about finding peace within yourself 
especially when you're struggling with something serious with Lyme disease. So I think you'll really enjoy what he has to say. And lastly, the ninja fact of the day. Did you know Borrelia is desperately searching for a vaccine to protect it from ninjas? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.